This episode brought to you by Manscaped. Use code REVISITED for 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. This is 80s Revisited. I'm your producer, Jesse Sedgley. And now, your host, Trey Harris. and greatest blast of the past with 80s revisited as we talk about ferris bueller's civil war adventure just kidding <laughs> just kidding <laughs> let's be real we gotta be serious are you though <laughs> kind of <laughs> that's right glory everybody and of course i am your host your commander your uh what was he colonel your colonel trey harris with me as always <laughs> my sergeant major jesse sedgley Yes, I am. And that's right, glory. Celebrating again a month late, but never a dollar short, because we'll, we'll get there eventually here on the podcast. Uh, our two for Black History Month. Talking about glory, one of the best, if not arguably, maybe not even arguably, probably the best Civil War film ever made. Uh, released December 15th, 1989, so that's why it's legal for the podcast. That was its limited release. It was widely released on February 16th, 1990. However, it was fully filmed in the 80s, and again, the limited release 99, it counts for being an 80s movie. Uh, IMDb gives it a 7.8. Rotten Tomatoes, 94% critics, 93% audience. Probably, based on the Rotten Tomatoes score, probably the highest rated movie between both that we've ever done on the podcast. Uh, since we started bringing up the Rotten Tomatoes scores. Uh, budget was estimated mm. at $18 million opened. Again, limited release, $63,000 in its limited release. However, it would go on to gross $27 million, and that's worldwide. And again, as we typically find, unfortunately, there's no hard rental data because that's the sad thing. The 80s was such a decade for the VHS and video stores and everything, and the 90s were too. Into the 2000s, of course, but there's so little data on rentals out there, which is really, really sad because that's the metric I would really want to know, to be honest with you, to see how good something did on video as opposed to its theatrical run. But I digress. Hmm. Directed by Edward Zwick. He also did other movies uh, with very similar... uh, Trope is the wrong word, but... uh, (laughs) Instances involving a majority leading a minority, such as The Last Samurai, uh, Killing Fields, and Legends of the Fall, which made Brad Pitt a household name for every female in the world, pretty much. It was written by Kevin, I don't know if it's, he pronounces it Jare or Jar, but it's J-A-R-R-E. But he also wrote Navy Seals, or should I say, ooh, Navy Seals, uh, Judgment Night, Tombstone, 
The Jackal with Bruce Willis, which I think is a pretty great, uh, I think, late 90s or early 2000s action movie. Uh, but he also had story mm. credit on Rambo 2, or First Blood Part 2 Rambo, uh, and The Mummy. And I'm talking about The Mummy, the one with Brendan Fraser, who, of course, is now, we're in the Renaissance as he's recently won the Oscar for <laughs> The Whale. Well-deserved, by the way. And this was based on a, two books, Lay This Laurel and One Gallant Rush, and some of the main characters, uh, Colonel Robert Gould Shaw's actual personal letters. Cinematographer was Freddie Francis. He was been mentioned on the podcast before. He's a frequent collaborator. Collabor- I can't even say this word. <laughs> Probably because I misspelled it on uh, Microsoft Word when I was typing it. <laughs> collaborator. See? See? He reads whatever's on the television. Always. <laughs> <laughs> Collabor- collaborator. Uh, he did Elephant Man, Doom, which we covered on the podcast, The Straight Story, but also. The nightmare-inducing as a child watching it in a theater, Return to Oz, uh, Scorsese's Cape Fear, and speaking of Brendan Fraser, yet again, School Ties. Uh, the music, which was should have been the first thing you noticed when this movie clip started at the beginning of the episode, was by the late, great James Horner, one of the greatest composers in film history, in my opinion. Definitely top three. Uh, what else did he do, Trey? Well, I'm glad you asked, because he did the score for Willow, Titanic, Braveheart, Crawl, Commando, Aliens, and The Land Before Time, and many, many others. Very, very talented composer taken from us way too soon. Uh, And starring Morgan Freeman as Sergeant Major Joe Rollins, of course, Seven, Shawshank, and released the same year, Driving Miss Daisy. Uh, Denzel Washington as Private Trip, Philadelphia, Fences, Training Day, and one of my personal favorite roles, The Book of Eli, uh, Andre Brauger was Thomas, uh, The Mist, City of Angels, but you most likely would recognize him as the chief or captain, I forget his exact character name, in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And of course, 80 staple Carrie Elways as Major Forbes, uh, Saw, most notably Robin Hood Men in Tights, Twister. Uh, you know, it's his first really villainous role in Twister because I uh, he's such a dick in that movie. <laughs> You know, when he dies in that, spoiler alert, when he dies in that movie, I feel bad for the driver of his vehicle because that, like, light pole goes, like, right through the driver's seat. And then uh, he just gets flown through the air by the tw- a titular twister, or titular twister, however you want to pronounce that word, and thrown through the <laughs> air, and his vehicle explodes. Uh, so he gets what he deserves in that movie, but Twister's one of those movies. It's so terrible. It's a, I honestly don't like the movie because it's just so bad, and, like, the, the dialogue is terrible, but I will watch it. Anytime I see it on, <laughs> it's you know, it, you know, it, I can't put it, I can't say it's a, a bad, good movie like Street Fighter because that's setting the bar too high. It's a bad movie that's really enjoyable. That's the only way to put it. Oh, remind me about bad, good movies when we get to the uh, <laughs> <laughs> what we I watch. will do my best to remember. <laughs> but of course, <laughs> Carrie Elway's his most notable and, and famous performance, Dread Pirate Roberts, aka Wesley from The Princess Bride, uh, what he will always first come to mind for me. As being uh, character actor Cliff DeYoung as Colonel Montgomery. Recently, he was in The Hunger, which we covered on the podcast. He took over the role of Brad in the Rocky Horror sequel, Shock Treatment. He was also on the podcast when we covered Pulse and Viewer Request, Viewer Request Month and The Craft. Uh, Richard Riley, he was a quartermaster. Now, you would recognize this guy. If you saw his face, you would immediately recognize him. Like, I know that guy. But then if I said, name another movie he was in, you probably might, you probably would not be able to do it. 
However, he has 427 acting credits, and that's only since 1977. But he's a character actor, been in a ton of stuff, usually just like one or two lines and he's out of the movie or show. But Casino, Office Space, and one of my favorite movies of all time, my favorite comedies of all time, Deuce Bigelow, Mel Gigolo, without a doubt, the best and the funniest Rob, Zo- uh, Rob Zombie. <laughs> <laughs> Rob Schneider solo movie. <laughs> All of Rob Sh- Zombie's movies are hilarious. Because, uh, yeah, that's his aesthetic, right? I don't know. And last, but definitely least when it comes to this film, the quote-unquote star of the movie, who is upstaged by practically everybody else in the movie, as far as my opinion goes, Matthew Broderick as Colonel Robert Gouldshaw. Obviously, when you think of Matthew Broderick, yes, Ferris Bueller, uh, but most people forget that he was the voice of adult Simba in The Lion King. And uh, another 80s staple, War Games, uh, the remake of The Producers. But he's also a murderer. Yes, that's right, because on August 5th, 1987, two years, or actually probably right before he actually started filming this movie, he was driving a rented BMW on the Tempo Road outside of Tempo, Northern Ireland, and Broderick crossed into the wrong lane and collided head-on with a Volvo, killing the driver and her mother. Uh, Anna Gallagher was only 28. The mother, mother, Her mother, Margaret Doherty, was 63. They were both killed instantly. He was actually vacationing with another 80s icon who he was dating at the time, Baby herself, Jennifer Grey. Uh, they were semi-secretly dating during the filming of Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And weren't they like brother and sister in that movie? I can't remember. Uh, the crash publicly revealed their relationship. He suffered a fractured leg and ribs, a concussion, and a collapsed lung, but at least he's alive. Uh, Gray had a severe whiplash, which actually required surgery to avoid paralysis. Uh, Broderick told police he had no recollection of the crash and did not know why he had been in the wrong lane. Uh, quote To quote Broderick, what I first remember is waking up in the hospital with a very strange feeling going on in my leg. He was charged with causing death by dangerous driving and faced up to five years in prison, but was convicted of the lesser charge of careless driving and only fined $175 in U.S. money for killing two people. Huh. Uh, the victim's family called the verdict, quote, a travesty of justice. I would happen to agree with that. Uh, the victim's brother and son uh, later forgave Broderick amid plans to meet him in 2003. In February 2012, when Broderick was featured in a multi-million dollar Honda commercial that aired during the Super Bowl, the family then kind of said uh, the meeting still had not taken place. And Broderick, quote, wasn't the greatest choice of drivers for a car commercial, knowing his past. <laughs> so, mm. Yeah. Not, you know, I mean, again, an accident is an accident. Uh, sure. You know, that, that, is a, that is true. But it just seems like, based on the Wikipedia article and what I've seen otherwise, he has a very, shall we say, John Landis attitude to the whole thing. And to me, that is what's unacceptable. Uh, whether you're at fault or not, you know, it's still... It was your action or slash inaction, so to speak, that cost two people their lives uh, and nearly killed you and the passenger of your vehicle. Uh, so it, it would seem like, you know, you would, I, I would assume, to, I would assume having never been in that situation. So again, it's a, it's a complete assumption that, you know, you would, you know, that you would carry that every day of your life. I'm sure he, I would assume he does, you know, you can't tell what some people, some people just brush it off as not out of sight, out of mind. But uh, yeah, he's got uh Two kills. 
So, <laughs> unfor- unfortunate, but, uh, you know, for all parties involved. But still, you know, it just seems like uh, he probably could have done more and should have done more after the fact for the action. And then just, I don't remember doing it. Well, I mean, was there a t- I couldn't find anything about toxicology reports or anything. Because that's obviously the first thing a rational person's mind might jump to. Like, oh, because he... You know, did he fall asleep or did was he on something? Nobody seems to know, which is unfortunate to actually have a have a have a better conclusion, I guess, for the whole thing. But nevertheless, maybe Jennifer was driving. Oh, he switched, switched seats. seats. Whenever, <laughs> not to laugh about such a thing. It may be. I don't have my my driver's license in Ireland, or I don't know how that works because I didn't. When I went overseas, I didn't drive. We commuted everywhere via train and uber all the time because you know all those countries over there got it together when it comes to public transit unlike you know 90 percent of the u.s anyway that's neither here nor there uh we're talking about glory here now jesse have you ever seen glory i have not uh, it's shame on you it's a fantastic movie uh i saw it on for the first time on tv because it is, it's. I mean, it's a, it's a war movie. You know, it's a civil war movie, but nevertheless, it is a war movie. So there is some graphic violence in it for the, especially for the time as well. But uh, this is a movie that I can watch again and again. Uh, not like back, you know, oh, rewinding it immediately, watching it in. But it is such a great film in terms of honestly every aspect of it except. Broderick's performance. And this is my opinion. Some people think it's fine. Most people don't. Not saying that, you know, oh, being the majority matters because we're talking about a Civil War movie here and the majority definitely uh, has a sway on things historically as it goes. But the the, the film succeeds. And I, I really don't want to spoil too much, but I mean, it is a historical event. It's a movie that's over, let's see, what, 89 we said? So it's over 40 years, uh, not quite 40, almost 40 years old, uh, over 40, 35 years old. Uh, and it's based on an actual event. So, um, yeah, we're going to kind of we're going to spoil the very end. So if you don't want spoilers, uh, watch the movie, which if you haven't seen it, Jesse, unfortunately, you're stuck. But uh, I know you can appreciate things. <laughs> and it's it's mm-hmm. it's no stretch of the imagination uh, as you're watching it, what's going to happen for the most part. But so spoiler warning from here on out. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. Come back and see us. And if you haven't, it's been a while, then you know, you still still should go rewatch it for sure. Uh, but yeah, basically everybody dies for the most part at the end because uh, we're going to get to the historical aspect and all that. I saw the wiki page. Yeah, and again, this is an historical <laughs> event and everything. Like I said, it's not exactly, and it's not like it came out yesterday. It's not like I'm spoiling Scream Six, you know, which I still haven't seen. So nobody spoil that for me. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah. But you know, basically, the gist of the story is this is about the. The actually, you know, the, I think I want to say the movie presents it as the first African American regiment of the Civil War, but it's actually the second historically uh, in the timeline of of that. But it, it a lot of the facts. This movie gets a lot of the facts right, which a Edwards Wick tends to do that with his historical films, such as The Killing Fields. Uh, not so much with The Last Samurai, for the most part. Uh, I guess uh, he really, he wanted to make an actual white savior movie when he did Last Samurai. <laughs> For the most part, because uh, this, you know, the white savior is a cinematic trope for the most part in which, you know, a white is a white person is a central character and saves often, you know, other non-white characters from unfortunate circumstances. Uh, I would say this movie is not that it is. This is not a white savior movie for the very reason which I kind of outlined already in that Broderick's character is, you know, the historical Shaw from what we know 
was a was you know he was very pro uh, or excuse me pro abolitionist anti slavery and really really did a lot of the stuff you see in the film like with the uh, the equal pay and all that he was a very big actual proponent for you know ending slavery and seeing African Americans as equal so very progressive for his time especially for a pretty from a well off family in the North at the time because uh, just because if somebody was fighting for the Union doesn't didn't just mean they were anti-slavery because there were people at times in the north you know a lot of the early presidents the first five or seven i think owned slaves you know it wasn't a uh, you know history you know history doesn't lie when it comes to that but anyway going back to kind of the gist of what i was saying was this movie is carried by its supporting cast broderick you could take him out and not even have him like doing too much except just showing up to lead the charge at the end for the most part, and the equal pay thing, uh, parts of it, because the Morgan Freeman, I mean, Jesus Christ, I always, always phenomenal. Denzel, this was like his, I want to say, he won, he won the Academy Award for this for Best Supporting Actor, and I, it was his, I'm pretty sure it was his first, it didn't win again until, what, Fences? Was it Fences? I think it was nominated a couple other times, but he, I know he won for Fences, and that was his second, and that tied him with uh, Sidney Poitier, I believe, if I remember correctly. Could be off on that, but I'm, I'm, my gut says I'm correct if I was on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And that was a question. I think you're right. Uh, but, you know, so the movie, it escapes the white savior trope is what I'm getting at because it's not, it's not so much that the non-white character is rescuing. Oh, training. Oh, that's, that, that's what I missed. But then he did win a third one for yeah. Fences, though, right? What? No, it just nominated. Oh, who, please find. I got it. Okay, here. who won that year then for that? Um, for 2006 yeah I mean uh, I mean 2017 was Fences um, Fences came out in 2016 but the It'll Oscars be 2017. for the 2017 awards was in yeah so that would have been ah uh, Marshall wait no that's supporting yeah that was supporting no that's supporting um, but then I would have passed it up Casey Affleck in Manchester no that nah Denzel should have won Casey Affleck is a terrible like no I can't stand him wow Others included uh, Andrew Garfield, Hacksaw Ridge, no. Ryan Gosling, La La Land, no. Vigo, and Captain Fantastic. Nope. Denzel should have won for Fences. I, that, to me, that was just the best performance he's ever done. Uh, that's just my opinion. So that's that's why I thought he won for that, because it was so damn good. Uh, but mm. yeah, anyway, you know, Glory, uh, it's not a white savior movie. That I mean, I, I can see on the surface people thinking that, but if you, if you pay attention to the movie, and again, in my opinion... Uh, it's not because it's the supporting cast that is the heart, that is the soul. They're the ones that you care about, not Matthew Broderick. Not his character. Even though, again, historically his character is a great guy and his character should be somebody that you care a little bit more about. But you said a best, Jesse, when we were doing show prep off the air, like he looks like a kid in his dad's uniform. Like he, he's so <laughs> miscast. Uh, but again, it doesn't bring down the movie. Every aspect of this movie is fantastic. The acting, aside from Broderick, the cinematography, especially the cinematography, the score, and just all it all comes together so good for just an ending uh, that I would compare in, in terms of endings that I appreciate. Even though it, th- this movie is so good, every time I watch it, I hope that they make it, if that makes sense. Very similar to United 93. That movie is so good to me. Of course, we know the plane crashes. But every time I watch that movie, you're with them. You're like, go, 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 get in there. And then, you know, reality sets in and, you know, it's over. 
Uh, same thing with Glory. It's just the music, the acting, every just everything comes together so good in this movie that there's a spoiler for the last, second to last shot of the movie, by the way, on IMDb. Yeah. Uh, that one. Uh, but it, it's yeah. just it's such a just a good movie. It's telling a story that honestly, even and here's what's great about you know you know the good part of history is that at the time it was recognized. What at the time, what an act it was, a heroic act it was, and an inspiring act it was. What the fifty fourth did, and I'll get into more in that more of that at the uh, after we get you know into the podcast uh, with more of the historical stuff for Black History Month, which again we're celebrating in March because of me being unemployed for two months and looking for a job <laughs> nonstop, and. Uh, that's why our next episode will be about Women's History Month, which will probably not be recorded mm-hmm. maybe at the end of March, maybe the 1st of early April. We'll see. But uh, yeah, so bottom line is glory. And if you know a lot of our listeners, a lot you know, that communicate with us are not American or, you know, England, uh, London, UK, excuse me, and Australian uh, Qatar, <laughs> you know. So, uh, you know, Civil War was one of the most, you know, it was... It's a, it's a, it was a rough part of American history, you know, and uh, but one that again needs to be taught and learned from. And there are horrific stories of the Civil War, and there are ones like this story of the Fifty Fourth and what they did that are incredibly moving, incredibly powerful. And you know, when you say when you oh that's what America's all about, you know, people throw that around a lot in the wrong context these days uh, regarding a certain former president, especially got there real quick but uh this is one of them this is a moment in american history that deserve you know deserved a movie of this caliber and again i think it probably would have done it probably would have been it's still fondly looked back on as like being a great war movie etc etc but it's it's led by matthew broderick and you know yeah i don't know it's just that's it's it's hard because it's so good, and then it's like he says something, and it's like, eh, and then it's good again. You know, it's 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 moving, and you know, I mean, I would never ever consider him one of my favorite actors ever. I mean, Ferris Bueller's great, and War Games is fun, and you know, anybody could have done Simba's voice. They didn't need Matthew Broderick to do that at all. And you know, I mean, yeah. it, it, to be fair, there's a couple of moments where he's almost there. But I mean, again, look at the cast. He's sitting there acting with Carrie Elways, Morgan Freeman, and Denzel Washington. A weak actor is going to stick out like, I don't know, whatever analogy you want to put there that fits for what I'm trying to say. You know, you, you can't be surrounded by some of the two of the best actors of all time in Morgan Freeman and Denzel Washington and not like at least keep up in, in some regard. And he's incapable of doing that. And the strange, and at this time, he was the biggest star in this movie, which is crazy. Now, because obviously, if, you know, which that's how that's how filmmaking works. You know, you have actors and things that like, uh, like this year at the Oscars again. I'll bring that up: Brendan Fraser, The Mummy, Encino Man, uh, George of the Jungle, all classics to me. But also, you know, Monkey Bone, which honestly, is kind of, I like. I like that movie too. <laughs> uh, you know, but he had some stinkers. And then uh, Kihu Kwan, you know, short round and data from the Goonies, you know, when, you know, and then Jamie Leaf wins her first Oscar, although people are kind of complaining about that. But that was a stat category for supporting actors, to be perfectly honest with you. That was a pretty stat category. 
But, uh, you know, so you got, you know, that's the thing. Like, it, it, the two actors from Encino Man won Oscars this year, <laughs> you know, but that was 30 years ago. You know, G- G- Glory was 30 years ago. And after that, you got Oscar winner Morgan, I think, pretty sure Morgan Freeman won an Oscar. He didn't win for Driving Miss Daisy, but I thought he, maybe I'm mistaken. He's been nominated a good bit. But has he? Yeah, I think he won. That's what I'm one, trying to think because right? I, I thought it was Miss Daisy, but it wasn't because he lost, which I'll get to in the trivia because for the Oscars for this film, for Glory, the one Oscar oh, confirmed. Okay, I'm trying to think. It is from my guess was Miss Daisy, but I know it's that not that. So was it was it Shawshank? I'll I'll give you a list. Is it uh, Street Smart? No. Driving Miss Daisy. No, I know that for Shawshank Redemption. Million Dollar Baby. Million Dollar Baby. Invictus. Yeah, Million Dollar Baby. Okay, yeah. Once you said it, I was like, oh, because that won everything except, I think, I think it won supporting for him and uh, what's-her-name, Hilary Swank, if I remember correctly, but Eastwood didn't win for Best Actor. They were all nominated that year, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it won won Best Picture. Um, Yeah, Clint Eastwood did not win. He was beat out by Jamie Foxx and Ray. (sighs) Hilary Swank did win. Morgan Freeman win. But uh, he won uh, for directing. Okay, Clint Eastwood. I don't know, man. He, I think he should have won the acting one for that. I think that was one of his best. Because <laughs> because uh, I remember that year. Because uh, if had he won actor, I think it would have been like the first film since Silence of the Lambs to like sweep the main categories. If mm. I remember correctly, a picture because it didn't win best picture, right? Or go back up. Was it? Yes. yeah, it would have won picture, director, actor, and actress. And it went supporting on top of that. So it would have been like one of the highest, you know, it almost had everything. But, uh, and Jimmy Fox was good in Ray, but I don't know, Million Dollar Baby, his, like that, that ending sells that movie. I mean, to be honest, I mean, the drama that movie. Yeah, they still spoof it today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For real. Yeah, but, uh, so yeah, you know, Oscar winner Morgan Freeman, two time Oscar winner Denzel Washington. And, I mean, today, who you know nobody who remembers Matthew Broderick except Ferris Bueller. You know, mm-hmm. everybody knows Morgan Freeman for a variety of projects. Same thing with Denzel, Carrie Elwes even. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> it's just funny how you know a star of a movie in this decade is, you know, was big shit then, and then how time changes, and other actors rise to prominence. It's always interesting. I find it interesting at least. You know, Michelle Yeoh was yeah. doing has been doing movies for 30, 40 years. You know, she was in Super Cop with Jackie Chan. You know, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And then, you know, then the little movie that could, Everything Everywhere All at Once comes out and just, just you know, kills it. Which, again, in my opinion, was the best film of last year and should have deserved all the awards, in my opinion. Although I would say if I if I, my pick, we didn't get an episode out before the Oscar pick, I would have picked, uh, I forget her name from The Whale, Hong Sao. I think she should have won best. She was my favorite performance for best supporting actress of those listed, personally. But again, that category, that was the category to watch uh, this past year. I think as to who was going to win because it was such. There were so many. Every everyone had an Oscar worthy performance. However, my favorite was again. I think her name's Hong Sao. Hopefully, I'm not totally being off on that. Hong Chow or Cho. Yeah, Hong Cho. I was close. Yeah, which uh, she was in the she was the the hostess in uh, the menu earlier this year, and then she's the nurse in the whale. But she was fantastic, fantastic. All of them again, all of them, all of them great performances. But anyway, got a lot of trivia and a lot more to talk about. Glory, 
So let's try to stay on topic here. But uh, Glory was actually the first. Now, this wording is very specific. There was other. There was previous movies about African Americans in their own unit in the Civil War, but Glory was the first major motion picture to acknowledge that topic. Uh, the Civil War reenactors who took part in the film did so for free and completely voluntarily. Uh, and this was really, and again, t- you want to talk, you know, talk about the acting of Denzel. Uh, Edwards Wick said that for the flogging scene, Denzel was lashed at full contact with a special whip that would not cut him, but it still stung. I mean, you know, just like like a switch almost. I don't know, uh, you know, Jesse. I don't know if you got discipline like that. <laughs> we, you know, Grandma goes. You're gonna have to explain that to anybody not from the south. exactly. So if you're not from the south, sometimes when you were too, when when you were fucking like a light switch, yeah, <laughs> they beat you with a light switch. What are you talking about? Yeah, they just threw her rammed her head against the light switch. No, that's go ahead and make a guess in your mind what you think a switch is. Yeah, I'll give you a second. Okay. When when you fuck around and find out with your grandparents in the South, when you're me and Jesse's age, or even your parents maybe, depending mm-hmm. on how old you are, they would go outside and get a little little tiny branch off of a tree and whack the back your backside with it. And you had to pray to God and hit the back of your thighs. You wanted it to hit your butt. You did not want it to hit the back of your thighs. Uh, so that's basically what he was getting uh, <laughs> flogged with for real in the scene. And in the final take, Zwick hesitated to call cut to tell him to stop flogging. And that's the scene in the film where Washington has that spontaneous tear down his cheek. One, probably one of the most powerful, in, in a film filled with powerful moments, that's one of the best. Uh, they also, he, uh, hmm. the director uh, also claimed that there was a lot of tension by the actors on the set because the flogging scene was, like, like I just said, you know, he was actually getting hit, uh, you know, as safe as can be, yet, you know, and still obviously pretty painful. You know, again, that's some acting right there, man. Uh, but the filming location was on this very same ground in the, during the Civil War, where actual floggings and lynchings occurred, so everybody was just tense. They're you know, they're filming this scene, that this kind of stuff took place on the same ground for real. So, and, and honestly, yeah. knowing that when you watch that, if you watch that scene, if you're going to revisit the movie after listening, like you can see it. Like it's like it's a very. I mean, it's such a, it's a tough scene, but it's it's a it's a moving and very. It's it's one of those scenes that kind of does it all, so to speak. It's really a, a crux of the movie scene, especially for Denzel's character. Uh, Morgan Freeman is a uh, he's a veteran. He served in the Air Force, and uh, he used that experience to kind of for his character and to help the other uh, actors in the film. Because Freeman says that no one becomes fast friends during training, but partnerships and friendships are made according to strengths, and that you kind of see that progression in the film as they're once they're training, they're actually out there doing stuff. You, that's when the, the the unit becomes fully cohesive. Because in training, you got the combative, you know, Denzel's character being very combative and dismissive to his his uh, his uh, bunk mate, so tent mate, so to speak, and everything. But through the through combat and seeing everybody's character and their strengths, they that's how they become basically a family, for lack of a better word. And also, Morgan Freeman did all of his own stunts in this movie. So he's all, you know, Morgan Freeman never ceases to not be a badass. Uh, Carrie Elwes, most of his scenes were actually cut, which is a shame because he's, he, he, A, he's a better actor than Matthew Broderick, and his characters, gravitas and ethos in the film, are much better defined and acted. You know, Broderick's reading lines, Carrie Elwes is acting when it comes to some of the, the important scenes between the, uh, the commanders 
in the film. Elway really carries those for the most part. Now one of the most glaring inaccuracies in this film is the fact that Matthew Broderick has facial hair because we all know he obviously can't even grow facial hair, which is some people might consider that lucky, but a lot of us have to deal with facial hair, not just facial hair, but body hair. Hair upstairs, hair downstairs. And the best way to manscape that, see what I did there, is with the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0. Luxury grooming for men. It includes the Lawnmower 4.0 with the skin yeah. Skin, I'm gonna just roll with it. We'll do the Kevin Smith thing. Uh, all new skin safe electric trimmer, the Weed Whacker 2.0, which is for your ear and nose, and which I've, again, it's worth it. If you only get one Manscaped product, get the Weed Whacker. It is the best nose hair trimmer I've ever had. Worth the price of admission. There you go. I use it every day before work just to make sure I don't have any flyaways. You know, nothing bothers me more than seeing somebody with that one long nose hair sticking out their nose. It's all, I can't look away from it. It's just like, a cat with a laser beam, like, you need to, tr I just want to reach and just grab it really quick and just yank it out. Uh, but anyway, the Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Crop Reserve, which is anti-chafing ball deodorant, the Crop Reviver, which is a ball spray toner, and the Magic Mat, which is basically just disposable shaving mats. But you also get a travel bag, which is really nice to put everything in, and the Boxers, which are anti-chafing, which uh, I've worn them at work, and I walk about 15,000 steps a day at work, walking back and forth in this massive furniture store, and I can say I have zero chaps. All thanks to Manscaped. And all you gotta do is enter the code, code REVISITED at checkout, save 20%, get free shipping from your friends here at Manscaped and also here <laughs> at this podcast called 80s Revisited, where we are consummate professionals with our ads. So, And uh, speaking of Broderick and acting, he says that uh, in my best Matthew Broderick voice, uh, the battle scenes didn't require much acting because I was actually really afraid of the extremely loud explosions on set. As we know, I, I don't do good impersonations, but that one was spot like, on. Like I was there. <laughs> <laughs> also, according to Edward Zwick, uh, that uh, he said Broderick and Elways did not get along during filming, which probably because they always like, I got this guy's the lead. <laughs> he was probably pissed off <laughs> that he, he was having to act with this. And again, that's just my opinion, but I, I really think that that's the this. We'll get to the score in a minute, but the only thing stopping this from being honestly a perfect film is Broderick. To be perfectly honest with you, I, I cannot express that enough. But the film, you know, the fact that the film succeeds on such a level without, despite that, is is a testimony to every other aspect of filmmaking in this movie. Uh, I'm going to say that another five times because that's very important. <laughs> Uh, Denzel actually didn't want to even be in the movie until he kind of read the reread the script a few times and it he realized it gave him a shot at portraying a fully fleshed out character because again this is early Denzel this is not this is not I mean it's not his first movie but I mean this is the movie that kind of that put him on the map a I mean a because of the performance b because he won the Oscar you know it's always a big bump in your career if you win an Oscar because we're going to see Brendan Fraser more stuff now we're going to see uh, we already seen Michelle Yeoh in a ton of stuff because she never left. Uh, Kehu Kwan's gonna be in more stuff, which I'm all for because he's fantastic. And honestly, let, let's just take a break. I mean, him winning and 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 him and Harrison Harrison Ford presenting that award, and Indiana Jones and in short round being on the stage of the Oscars at the end is that not like one of the most amazing things that you've ever seen in your life? <laughs> if you're an '80s kid, I mean, come on. That was like, and then and then he goes backstage and he's like, yeah, and Kehu Kwan's like, yeah, all the Goonies already called me because we're Goonies for life, man. It's just like, oh. 
it's like such a fairy tale. You can't help but be happy for the guy, man. I mean, it's what what an amazing story. That's going to be a movie in twenty years, maybe even less. You know, that you know because. Who, who, you, again, you know, in this movie, you got Denzel and Morgan Freeman. Who would ever think these guys, why they were filming, would go on to be multiple Oscar winners? And the Goonies, or again, Unencino Man, Brendan Fraser and Kehu Kwan. Kehu Kwan are sitting there on, on the set of Encino Man. Pauly Shore, Sean Astin, Encino Man, which, again, I love that movie. It's a fantastic movie, but it's not an Oscar movie. You know, you know what I'm saying? And they would go on to win the same year. Oh, the same show win Oscars. You know, it's it's crazy how that works. You know, the, you know, award season. Yes, a lot of these are kind of oh, they're bought for and all this blah blah blah. True, in some regard, but goddamn, this wasn't just a feel good year. Like it was a great award. Like, I didn't watch them because I don't have cable, but I'm watching the live updates from IMDb as to who won. Like yes, 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 <laughs> and then all the clips the morning after of all the acceptance speeches and all that. So, but anyway, where was I? Uh, oh, very early in the movie, Union soldiers play baseball. Now, considerable dispute remains about exactly when, where, and how baseball was actually invented. But the Civil War had a very important role in the sport's rapid growth, and it became a very popular pastime for soldiers on both sides uh, who spread it around the country. So the best thing that happened to baseball was, in fact, the Civil War. So uh, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> it's a, to me, it's a bad thing because I don't like baseball. <laughs> and the Civil War was... Pretty fucked up. But, you know, it's when half your population thinks that, that part of the population is not worthy of basic human rights and you got to stand up and do something. Oh, my God. Did I describe 1860 or 2022? You know, oh, oh, oh woo, <laughs> woo, woo. More things change, the more they stay the same, it seems, sometimes in this country. Oh, but uh, oh. anyway, ha-ha. <laughs> Back to the movie again. Uh, many of the first shots were taken from the 120th anniversary reenactment of the Battle of Gettysburg in 1988, in which 15,000 reenactors took part. So they kind of just filmed that, spliced it into the movie for some of the battle scenes. Uh, so they were, th those scenes were fused into the actual Battle of Antietam scene, which was filmed in Georgia. Uh, in McDonough, Georgia, if you want the exact filming location. So they, re they took scenes from a reenactment of Gettysburg to create, recreate the Battle of Antietam. Uh, James Horner's end title music is also in the theatrical trailer for Backdraft. And let me tell you right now, the end title music in this... First of all, if, if you're a scorer, if you, if you like movie scores, go get the score to this movie right now, if you haven't already. One of the top ten movie scores of all time in my opinion. And that last score is absolutely epic. When you hear it, it's going to be one of those, you're like, oh, I didn't realize this was from Glory, or maybe you did. But it's, 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 it's been reused in a lot of stuff. Obviously, the trailer for Backdraft. I want to say even one of the Spider-Man 2 trailers might have used it, or if I remember correctly. But you, it, 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 you hear it every now and then in other stuff. It's widely used because it is so amazing. Uh, there's a party scene in the film, and it was filmed in the Savannah home of Jim Williams, the man whose story was the basis for the book and the film, speaking of Clint Eastwood, because I believe he directed it, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, starring disgraced actor Kevin Spacey. Uh, Edward Zwick was, he was apprehensive about how uh, the cast, the African-American cast would feel about a young white Jewish director telling a crucial part of their history, but the cast was very affable and good humor towards him, and many were actually grateful that he was brave enough to tackle the subject at that time. 
Uh, the plot line with the, the soldiers refusing their paychecks is actually based on a real event in which the 54th and its sister regiment, the 56th, they were promised equal pay to the white troops. But the federal government decided to deduct several dollars a month for, quote, provisions, which happened to be provided for free to the white units. So the black soldiers refused their pay, but what's not shown is that the state of Massachusetts voted to make up the difference in pay out of state funds, but the men still refused because it was a point of honor for them that the federal government would honor its obligations and treat them as it did white soldiers. Now that's character. You know, you're that's the thing that you know. At the, it's just incredible. You're you're at this point in history. You're treated like that, and you still have the character that the right people, you know, are honoring what they've said they're going to. Not like oh, not some do-gooder. Not saying that was a bad thing that Massachusetts offered to do that, but you know, you have the character. Not you know, we don't want your money. We want the the federal the people who promised us the money to pay the money. That is character, and that could not be bought. And that's another. That just shows the character of these men in the fifty fourth. Uh, interestingly enough, two of Frederick Douglass's sons, and for our foreign listeners, uh, he was a very famous abolitionist, very important uh, author, and everything during that time. His sons Lewis and Charles were in the fifty fourth. At the time of the attack, his son Lewis was wounded shortly after Shaw fell and retreated with the rest when the force withdrew. Uh, the original site of Fort Wagner is long gone, eroded by the ocean and passage of time. Uh, the Battlefield Preservation Society, called the Civil War Trust, they acquired a large amount of land on Morris Island where they preserved other Civil War era fortifications on the island, but the actual site is lost under the Gulf. Or not the Gulf, actually. It'd be on the... Uh, the uh, Atlantic. Atlantic. Thank you. Yep. <laughs> I was getting there. I was like Pacific, <laughs> Arctic, Indian. <laughs> there's like a new ocean. You know, there's like more oceans now than we were in school. Southern Ocean. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's all the same damn ocean. It's only one ocean. It's all connected. But yeah, you know, it's like, <laughs> is Pluto a planet? Is it not? Is the Brontosaurus real? Is it not? I don't know, man. I just stick with what I learned when I was a kid. As long as it doesn't, <laughs> as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. <laughs> you know what I mean? But anyway, uh, the author of the screenplay was uh, Kev- Kevin Jare. I want to say Jare because that looks lo- that looks right. Uh, he wrote that he was inspired to write it when he saw the monument to Robert Gouldshaw on Boston Common, the same monument which is shown in the closing credits of the film. Uh, very similar to how uh, I think it was his name was Randall Wallace who wrote Braveheart. He was inspired to write that because he saw a statue. For William Wallace, I was like, oh, my name's Wallace, too. Let me find out about this guy. Hell, I'm going to write an Academy Award-winning movie about it. Starring Crazy Mel. Uh, Braveheart's still fucking awesome. <laughs> I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> but anyway, okay. I already said a spoiler warning. Here's some more spoilers, but very specific spoilers for the movie. Uh, in the attack on Fort Wagner, nearly half of the regiment was killed, wounded, or captured. For his bravery in the battle, this is real. this is real life. Uh, Sergeant William H. Carney became the first African-American to earn the Medal of Honor, which is, of course, the United States' highest military award that it can bestow. It was not given to him, however, till 37 years after the fact. So it's definitely important that he got it. It's shameful that it took 37 years to happen. Uh, he was not technically the first in, t- in time to receive one. There was, uh, I should have wrote that down uh, in my... Uh, research, but he wasn't the very first, but in terms of actual time 
of events happened to which recipients were given the medal, if that makes sense. He was the first. But between the 37 years of the Battle of Fort Wagner and till he got it, others did receive it, but he was according, you know, based on time of, based on the time of the act that got the medal, he was the first. Uh, according to several historical sources, uh, Colonel Shaw was actually shot through the heart and fell into the fort rather than falling outside of it, as in the movie. And many of his men died going in after him to get his body out, at least, and follow him in there. Many of those, unfortunately, were killed. But again, that shows the character and the camaraderie that they had to fight for somebody who was going to fight for them. And that's, again, that's highly, highly notable. And of course, at the end of the film, heartbreaking scene, uh, the best acting Broderick does, but his body's thrown into the mass grave with the other soldiers of the 54th. And now normally officers were given formal burials, but the Confederates were such assholes and had such hatred for the Black Regiment that the officers were thrown in with the regular soldiers and no honors were rendered. A symbolic thing, which just shows, you know, it shows the character of the Confederacy uh, and why they deserve to lose and not be remembered and not have statues and not have their flag paraded around. Uh, anyway, wee wee But after the war, mm. Shaw's parents visited the site of Fort Wagner in South Carolina. This was before it, it was eroded by the beach, obvi- uh, by the ocean, obviously. And they were asked if they wished to have their son's body exhumed so they could take it home to Boston for burial. They said no. And this is a quote from them at the time. We would not have his body removed from where it lies, surrounded by his brave and devoted soldiers. That was his father, Francis George Shaw. And he goes on to say, we can imagine no holier place than that in which he lies among his brave and devoted followers, nor wish for him better company. And that that sums up the whole situation to me. Uh, As we said, the the movie would go on to win three Oscars, supporting Oscar for Denzel, who also won the Golden Globe that year and the NAACP Image Award, cinematography for Francis, and it also won Best Sound. Morgan Freeman was nominated this same year, but not for supporting actor for this but for Best Actor for Driving Miss Daisy. But he lost to Daniel Day-Lewis for My Left Foot. Uh, Horner, James Horner, won the Grammy for the score, but he lost the Oscar for Best Original Score to The Little Mermaid, which, nah, bro. <laughs> Little Mermaid's got some of the, it's probably one of the best Disney scores of the Disney Renaissance, don't get me wrong. But the score for this film is, like I said, it's a top 10 of all time film score for me. Uh, Score-wise for the movie, I'd give it a 9. I'd give it a 9.5 or even possibly even a 10, if not for Broderick. He holds it back that much and stops it from being... You know, it, it is one of the best... It is the best Civil War film. It is one of the best war films ever made, in my opinion. And it's almost one of the greatest films... It is one of the greatest films of all time, I'd say. Because of everything, every other aspect of it, like I said, ad nauseum is so good, but Broderick is just... The wrong choice. Absolutely the wrong choice. And Zwick wanted him for the role. You know? Hmm. Sometimes the producer's got to step in and say, Bueller? For this? No! <laughs> you got to step up and say something. But yeah, fantastic film. If you haven't seen it, I mean, I already spoiled it for you, but uh, you kind of <laughs> see where it's going. You know, you kind of, you, you know, you're hoping for that happy ending, but it's still a, you know, it's the appropriate ending a, because it's following historical fact, and it, you know, that's unfortunately that's the way it went. But it was, it's one of the most inspiring stories, and definitely worth highlighting. Doing our part 
to help shine light on you know stories uh, from the '80s, from the films of the '80s that deserve more attention today, that are you know not quite remembered, especially during Black History Month. And speaking of that, the real here's the this is off this is the factual stuff, 100% factual based on what we know. But the 54th Massachusetts Infantry, Reg- Infantry Regiment was a regiment that saw extensive service in the Union Army during the Civil War. It was the second, as I mentioned earlier, African-American regiment following the 1st Kansas Colored Volunteer Infantry Regiment. That's the name of the regiment, not my wording. Organized in the Northern States during the Civil War. It was actually authorized as part of the Emancipation Proclamation, and it consisted of African-American enlisted men commanded by white officers, just like in the movie. But they gained widespread acclaim, the regiment did, on July 18th, 1863, when it spearheaded an assault on Fort Wagner, a key position overlooking the water approach to Charleston Harbor. The 54th had only recently returned from James Island after a difficult withdrawal during which they spent two days without food. They returned to the main Union force late on the afternoon of July 18th, and the tired and hungry men were immediately placed in the vanguard of the assault force which numbered in the range of 4,000 soldiers. They launched the assault at 7.45 p.m. along a narrow spit of land. The distance to the Confederate line was 100, or excuse me, 1,600 yards, 1,500 meters for all of our foreign people who are appropriately on the metric system. And the narrow confines of the spit and treacherous marshland disorganized the attackers. The approach required them to pass beyond some of the Confederate fortifications before making their actual assault. They crossed the waterfield ditch. They took the outer wall of the fort. But because of the strength of the defending force, the position could only be held for about an hour before the two Union brigades were withdrawn at around 9 p.m. So an hour and 15 minutes of hell for these guys. Uh, they numbered about the 54th itself was about 600 men at the time of the assault. 270 were killed, wounded, or captured. And believe me, you did not want to get captured by the Confederacy if you were in a black regiment. Uh, Colonel Shaw was killed along with 29 of his men. 24 died later of wounds. 15 were captured. 52 were missing in action and never accounted for. And 149 were wounded. It was the highest number of casualties in the history of the regiment during a single engagement. Uh, and now, although Union forces were not able to take the, hold the fort, the 54th was widely acclaimed for its valor during the battle, and the event helped encourage the further enlistment and mobilization of other African-American troops, a key development that good old Honest Abe once noted as helping to secure the final victory of the Civil War. Decades later, as I mentioned, William Harvey Carney was awarded the Medal of Honor for grabbing the U.S. flag as the flag bearer fell, kind of the scene the, that we opened the, the podcast with, which they reference in the movie, uh, carrying the flag to the enemy ramparts and back, saying, quote, boys, the old flag never touched the ground, which we turned into a song in his honor in 1900. And as I mentioned, while other African-Americans have since been granted the award, by the time it was presented to Carney, his is the earliest action for which the Medal of Honor was awarded to an African-American. And rounding out the historical side, a monument to Shaw on the 54th was constructed in 1884, well, it start, began construction in 80, 1884 and ran to 1898 by Augustus St. Gaudin on the Boston Commons and is part of the Boston Black Heritage Trail. A plaster of this monument was also displayed at the entryway to the U.S. Paintings Gallery at the Paris Universal Exposition of 1900. And of the regiment, Governor John A. Andrews said, quote, I know not where in all of human history to any given thousand men in arms there has been a committed work at once so proud, so precious, and so full of hope and glory so an amazing story 
and it got this is a story that got the movie it deserved aside from the lead actor <laughs> Right. <laughs> so again, that I, uh, it's, just, it, ah, it's just it's such a shame, especially talking about it. It makes me more angry <laughs> the, the more I can bring it up. Like it's such a it's so good, it's such a good movie. It's just what on earth made him go like him want Broderick for this? It's like, and again, I can understand an actor trying to do something serious. I understand that completely. Jim Carrey, you know, other actors have done it. Robin Williams, Jim Carrey, they've done some good serious work, but this was not the time. Nor the place, unfortunately. But anyway, in the real world, again, the limited release for Glory was December 15th, 1989. On the same day, drug baron Jose Gonzalo Rodriguez Gacha is killed by Colombian police. So I guess you could say they got him. Dad joke, sorry, because his last name was Gacha. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah, if you saw it in print, maybe it, it would play better. Uh, uh. But uh, born two days before Glory came out, the lady of the hour of the month of for her heiress tour kicking off uh, just the other day, Taylor Swift, December 13th, 1989. She actually shares her birthday with Katherine Schwarzenegger Pratt, the wife, now wife of Chris Pratt and, of course, daughter of Maria Shriver and Arnold Schwarzenegger. And she's also an author and does some other stuff, but she's an Epo baby. With, again, nothing wrong with that. You won the baby lottery. You won the parent lottery, bro. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, and then the day after Glory released, Lee Van Cleef passed away. He was born in 1925. He died at age 60, only age 64, due to a heart attack. Of course, Lee Van Cleef, the villain, the uh, the bad in the good, the bad and the ugly, uh, Escape from L.A. I'm sorry, Escape from New York, excuse me. Uh, character actor, was in a ton of stuff. Very famous. Gone too soon. Should have been 84, not 64, but hey, you don't know the time or the place. So there you go. That's your snapshot of the real world back in 1989. December 15th, the precipice of the 90s. Uh, back to the future this week. Jesse, you wanted me to remind you about good, bad movies. So I'll let you, I'll take a break oh. and I will sip my beverage <laughs> as you take the reins. Well, there was one late night where... Uh... The wife was uh, usually falls asleep to the TV. I'm like, oh, let's just put on this movie. You can fall asleep to this because it doesn't really matter. <laughs> that movie is called Moonfall. Ah, you which watched you it. Talked about <laughs> which you talked about a few weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, wow, you were right. It's. I remember, like in the first 20 minutes, they just maybe even 30 minutes. Halle Berry's lines, every single one of them, is like. That really, really bad line from X Men about the toad, <laughs> the toad being struck by lightning. <laughs> <laughs> Every single line is just so bad for her. I'm like, why does it come, sound so bad coming out of her mouth? Yeah. I know she doesn't do that all the time. Yeah. Oscar just, winner, Haley Bear. Right. Yeah, she was handed garbage and she was just like, well, I'm just going to roll with it. This guy seems to be know, he's, know what he's doing. He's been doing it a while. <laughs> um, but yeah. So that and <laughs> all the characters were just like, what you see is what you get. I yeah. have no layers. Yeah. I am <laughs> I am this thing. Legitimate characters. That. Yeah. I mean, because honestly, the overall story, I thought had some legs. Yes. I thought it could, um, could be something. But just what we were given, while kind of funny... 
<laughs> but but overall, very bad, but an entertaining bad. Just like you said, I mean, it hit all the points that you said. It's just like, and then in the ending, I mean, I don't care about spoilers. Yeah. In the ending, where he's like just fed all that information, he's like, "Here's what we got to do." Yeah. And it's just like, I felt like they gave up, and they were like, "I don't know how they're gonna take care of this. Let's just." Let's just uh, <laughs> feed them all this info just to get them out of here and just, I don't yep. know. They, they, there were moments where they were like, oh, check out how much heart we have. And then you're just like, I'm not feeling it. Yep. <laughs> um, and it's just ridiculous. I mean, but all of Roland Emmerich's films are just as ridiculous. Yeah, to be honest. Actually, no, this is more. This is more. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Oh man! But yeah, so many dumb <laughs> character moments. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, the big bad is the is really the only thing that kind of made sense, <laughs> <laughs> even though it's like out of this world, literally. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they wanted to turn this thing into a trilogy. Oh God! But yeah, that's why it has such. Uh, that's why it has that cliffhanger ending at the end. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he wants to make three of these. Dear God. So I kind of want to see it, yeah. though. <laughs> no, it's like, uh, for all the wrong reasons. I don't reasons. know if we will, because it just didn't perform very well. Yeah, um, yeah budget of $150 million on this. Um, gross U.S., less than $20 mil. Okay. Gross worldwide, $67 mil. Still only half. I just don't think it's going to see round two or three. Yeah. It's going to be one of those cult. It's going to be a cult movie. Like uh, how of it because it's of its absurdity, I think you know. Mm-hmm. But that's a big loss. Hundred fifty your worldwide is what you say twenty something. Or jeez, yeah. that is you know. So uh, you're out of Independence Day money now, Roland. It's over. Yeah, <laughs> you know. You have to have a hit. You have to have something. God. Such wasted characters. I feel like when he's writing or who wrote? The, okay, he's credited as writing. Um, it was just like okay, each of our characters. We're going to limit ourselves to 15 words max describing these characters. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want them to be, be, you know, have too many layers. I want people to just understand right right straight up. Like, everybody's character is their job. <laughs> like, there you go. Exactly. The job is me. <laughs> exactly. Nailed it. Yeah. Well, that's so. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Like, oh. Yeah, she fell asleep. By the way, I don't blame. Autumn fell asleep too, but I was I was riveted. <laughs> like this can't be happening. The- <laughs> Is this real? Is this actually what's happening? Oh man! Oh. But yeah. So it- <laughs> yeah, if, I mean, if you're looking for good acting, don't go there. If you're looking for just VFX crammed down your throat, oh, the green screens were awful. Mm. Awful at the beginning, especially. Like, whenever they're going to the um, that site in Los Angeles. Yeah. Oh, that green screen was so bad. Because clearly they didn't go there. Exactly. It's that scene in Wayne's World, too, where they're like, isn't it great that they send us to all these places and it's all their, their backs are to the camera and it's clearly, like, people in wigs in, like, yeah. Europe and not, like... And isn't it great they spent the money to send us here? Yeah. <laughs> Which the first time, the first like 10 times I saw that movie, I didn't get that joke. <laughs> I just didn't get it. <laughs> but it's still one of, the, it's one of the funniest jokes of all time. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. And then they try to play it off as real in this one. It's just. Yeah. <laughs> like nobody's going to notice. Right. Oh, Don't use such a big place 
if you're going to not film there, just say, oh, we're meeting them at an observatory. Yeah. And just go shoot at one. Exactly. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, Moonfall. It deserves the five it has on IMDb. I'm surprised it's that high. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I kind of see it. You know, like, okay, I kind of understand it, but also knowing how, like, IMDb is, that, that just means some people out there really, really like it because it's not, it's the five. You know? But. Yeah, and there's so many moments in the movie where they contradict their own rules. Oh, yeah, like, like so many times. It's like, okay, we're going to get this tree off of you because the moon's going to pass over and it's going to pull it off of you. Okay, great. Let's do that. And immediately after, a truck falls out of the sky and crushes <laughs> exactly. the bridge. I'm like, wait a second. Wait, wait, I thought wait, everything was, was like weighing nothing. <laughs> Man, the whole, the whole like, subplot with the kids and everything was just so... Oh, I hated the subplot. Oh, like, once, once they're in space, they kept switching back to it. Yeah. I'm like, I don't care. I don't care. Please, just... Could they all just get shot? <laughs> exactly. Move on. It's like, it was like... It's like so many different movies in one in this movie. It's like... But it it, it 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 somehow kept me entertained. <laughs> you know? yeah. just, I, I can't but even the it. death the death of the characters like the last one was earned, was an earned death. But the one on Earth Oh yeah the guy from Ant Man, unearned death. I didn't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Yeah, it's like that so, Loki yeah, like very well next. Death. Yeah, very well. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> you weren't important to be there, and okay. <laughs> Just so yeah, Moonfall. Watch that. Um, <laughs> it's on uh, HBO Max if you want to watch that. Yeah, yeah. So if, <laughs> if you have HBO Max, there's there's plenty of worse you can watch, I imagine. But <laughs> actually, there's this a, one's pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. You know, I I kind of recommended it to you. <laughs> you liked it. So. For the right reasons, yeah. so maybe it's. Yeah, you know. I want to watch it again. <laughs> I can't, couldn't do that again. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, I could watch it to do like yeah. a commentary track, you know, or something like with people, like some drinks or something like that. But like to just sure. sit down, like God, yeah. I want to watch Moonfall again, man. That movie was awesome. Nah. Yeah, I want to watch the highlight. <laughs> I mean, for Roland Emmerich, you're just watching for the VFX shots. Exactly. Anyway. Yeah, pretty much. You like, know what you're if getting. I'm watching. Yeah, if I'm watching twenty. What was it 2020 or yeah 2012 2012 2012 oh my god it's been that long <laughs> <laughs> that movie 2012 I, I mean that's the thing i remember about the movie is just the vfx shot yeah uh independence day now that's a different story <laughs> yeah that was when he's in his prime oh, I forgot. it was a new thing i forgot he did the godzilla remake Ugh. <laughs> with matthew broderick oh he's, yeah i <laughs> yeah, good point. There you go. Great point. I want God, uh, the Godzilla remake. What year was it, like 97, 98, somewhere around there? Mid 90s. Um, eight, yeah. With Puff Daddy doing that. Uh, yeah, come cover with me. Of, uh, Led Zeppelin. <laughs> uh, ugh. But I remember that they had a sneak preview at Tinsel. T- this is very local talk. A theater yeah. that is now a golf course or a driving range. Mm-hmm. But they had a sneak preview, and that was like the first sneak preview I ever went to. Like it was like we went there, they got us like <laughs> they gave out little like bonuses for showing like uh, for the sneak preview, like a little film cell or something, which long since destroyed. Because I've I've always I'm a Godzilla fan, and I'm like that was one that was, you know there, there was a time where every movie I saw I thought was great. 
you know what I'm saying? Like, we all kind of have that phase. We're like, oh, I went and saw it, so it's great. And then in hindsight, you're like, yeah, it's kind of garbage. But uh, the two earliest movies I remember watching in a theater and being like so pissed off about having watched <laughs> them and just, just, just legit disappointed. The first, I don't know if it was the first one, but the, the two are Mortal Kombat Annihilation, which I'm not alone in that one. I know that much. <laughs> and Godzilla. I remember just walking out of Godzilla and being like, what the fuck? Like, that's one of the worst <laughs> movies I've ever seen in my life. Because it is. It's absolutely terrible. <laughs> it still is. It's so bad that in uh, Godzilla Final Wars, uh, they had a they purposely put a bad CG version of that Godzilla and had the actual Godzilla melt his fucking face off. <laughs> because they knew, like, nah, you're not going to disrespect Godzilla like that, boy. No. King of the Monsters, baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> the same director of, uh, like, what? Um, Pre-Godzilla, pre-Independence Day, Stargate, Universal Soldier. Yeah. Two- which, I mean, yeah, they have nostalgic uh, roots in anyone born in the 80s. Yeah. Uh, you know, they have a six. <laughs> or Universal <laughs> Soldier is a six. But, you know, we liked it for different reasons. Yeah, I mean, it's... Same a- goes for Independence Day. Yeah. You know, that's his, those are his best movies. Universal Soldier, Stargate, and Independence Day. Oh, the pa- oh. Speaking of like true story movies, The Patriot. Yeah. Um, some people, I don't know. Like honestly, like and again, it, your opinion yours. If you like The Patriot, that's fine. You know, but that movie is so. That is like you know when you talk about. I love historical movies, and I love when historical are based on a true story or whatever. And I love when you find out that hey, this movie was actually really close to that. And yeah, The Patriot. Hmm. Nah, bro. <laughs> It's just, I mean, the best thing about the Patriot is uh, Jason Isaac's character, the villain, uh, which kind of set him up for being a villain. Even though he actually he wasn't he was in the no he was uh, in Armageddon. He's the one in Armageddon before he was in Harry Potter that does the firecracker analogy. You got a firecracker in your hand, or you got a firecracker in your ha- open hand, <laughs> yet it burns. But if you close your fist around a firecracker, well, your wife's opening all your your jam jaws or whatever for the rest of your life. But uh, and of course, he was so villainous in the Patriot. That's made the Patriot awesome. And this was before Mel Gibson went full crazy, too. You know, so Mel Gibson in, in a in a uh, revolutionary war movie, like oh, directed by the director of Independence Day. Ugh. Nah, Patriot sucks. Seven point two on IMDb. Yeah, thanks, uh, right wing people, for thinking this movie's <laughs> awesome. Because <laughs> Mel Gibson is quote unquote the Patriot. Right. I don't know. Yeah. I've only seen it once. I didn't like it after I saw it the first time. You know, the cannon, the shots of people getting blown away by cannons were cool. And Jason Isaacs was incredibly villainous. But damn. Well, Roland sucked. Emmerich has some 80s movies you might want to consider called uh, Ghost Chase. From well, he does have one called Making Contact. <laughs> that yep, I, I rented, like, I, rent, I, I watched that movie so many times as a kid. Mainly because there's a Star Wars part in it. Basically, this stuff, this doll, I haven't seen, it will definitely cover it eventually. But what I remember is, like, there's this thing in his closet, this doll that has powers, and, like, his toys come alive. And there's a scene where legitimately Darth Vader walks out of his closet, and all of his Star Wars toys are, like, flying around and fighting. Like, now, (laughs) now, which endeared the movie to me because it had a Star Wars reference, you know, in 85. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, but, uh... But also, I, this it's one of those movies that I haven't seen since then, much like Saturday the 14th, which we covered on the podcast. And I wanted to 
not finish watching it. It was so bad. <laughs> you know, again, I my, imagine this would be pretty bad too. My opinion, of course. You know, some people love Saturday the Fourteenth, and you know, which is fine. But yeah, Roland Lord Emmerich, you know, thank you for making Independence Day. And honestly, I even liked the second Independence Day. I thought it was fine, uh, as far as a sequel, you know, a sequel twenty years later could be. Universal right. Soldier is a is my is one of my favorite Van Damme movies. Him and you know him and Dolph Lundgren are great, and uh, Stargate. It's got Kurt Russell. Enough said. You know, mm-hmm. one of, one of my you know if, if we ever did like a list of a special Kurt Russell episode and favorite Kurt Russell movie moments, one of them would be from Stargate, where he puts that dude on the little the ring elevator thing. He's like, "Give my regards to King Tut, asshole," and it decapitates <laughs> the dude and. Uh, the dude from the Crying Games, like, huh? And then it's like the head of the dude in the elevator. Yeah, Kurt, I mean, Stargate, honestly, great. Roland, he has some good ideas, but that doesn't mean you should write them and maybe you shouldn't make the movie about them necessarily, you know, <laughs> uh, based on his recent work. Because, like you said, the idea for Moonfall's got some legs. Like, it's not a bad idea for a movie, but yeah. <laughs> not this movie. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, look and look at his look at his filmography since even since the Patriot. I mean, Day After Tomorrow. Uh, okay, I'll give you that one. But Ten Thousand BC, Twenty Twelve, White House Down, uh, Independence Day Resurgence, and then what? Midway. I haven't seen that one. And then Moonfall. I mean, a string of failures, as far as I know. Unless yeah. they were big overseas, you know, he's still but he's still making movies. Hundred and fifty million dollar movies. Yeah. Yep. You know, how? I mean, did he make that much off of Independence Day or is, <laughs> did they just have that much faith in him? But I mean, honestly, who read the script for Moonfall and was like, look, sure, here's $150 million. Wow. He's got three in development. Oh, God. Megalord? Is that what, am I reading that correct? Maya Lord? Uh, Maya, Maya Lord. Oh, wait, are they redoing Mayan. Star? Yeah. Are they remaking um, Stargate? <laughs> I mean, With it's him? about time, right? Yeah, but why is the director of the original remaking it? <laughs> you know, that's, stu- that's stupid. Get somebody new. Only one actor linked to it. Brad Archie, who I don't... Never heard of him. I've ne- yeah, doesn't even have a photo on IMDb. Well, that tells you all you need to know. All right. But, I mean, Stargate well, lived on more so for just inspiring television series that ran for... You know, it ended up starring MacGyver and ran for years. You know, uh, honestly, that's, that might be where he, got, he gets all this money from. Stargate, Stargate, the show, and syndication and all that kind of stuff. Who knows? I don't know. Not me. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Anything else new and notable that you watched, saw, or played? Uh, no, that's, that's the standout. Um, you know, I'm still watching television. Um, I think we mentioned last time that Last of Us ended. and Yeah. I'm gonna try I'm like, to watch all binge watch that as a whole. Yeah. So yeah, so wait. we can talk about that whenever you finish it. Eventually. But yeah. Kind of slow right now, but Someday. I did. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, mean, I played the game, so I mean, do I really need to watch the show? I do. Uh, I do. I do want to watch the show. Yeah, Don't get me wrong. But uh, I, I had the. You know, speaking of good bad movies, uh, I watched a very important film based on a true story. Speaking of that. Uh, in the form of Cocaine Bear. And <laughs> I had a smile on my face the whole time. It is gory, over-the-top, 
and absolutely fun. Uh, it, it it's a movie that it is completely aware of itself, and that was the key to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my opinion, it's, you know, it's not they don't they never take it too seriously, and yeah. it's incredibly enjoyable. It's very funny. Uh, I recommend it. I think it's an it's you know again it's a quick hour and a half as most movies should be. It's it, the, the title tells you everything. And Carrie Russell is absolutely gorgeous in it because I've had a crush on her since the Mickey Mouse Club. And uh, R.I.P. Ray Liotta, he's in it. Uh, some other actors that you, you, know, you recognize and pop up in it. I don't want to say too many of them. Uh, but uh, it, it's, it's fun. It was, and the, the gore is there. It's got some like, holy shit moments, you know, where you're like, oh, uh, you know, definitely not for kids. <laughs> it's rated R. Uh, very gory. But uh, Elizabeth Banks, she's a good director. Uh, you know, of course, she did the Charlie Charlie's Angels reboot a few years ago, which I saw, and it's not, it wasn't bad, uh, but it wasn't good or great. You know, but she's a competent director, uh, I think. Yeah. Uh, she's got a good eye. Uh, her movies look good and are entertaining. But Cocaine Bear, I recommend it. It, it was a blast. I was just again, you have a smile on your face the whole time. For, you know, I wish the CG was a bit better for the titular bear, but. Uh, you know, you get what you can when you have a movie called Cocaine Bear. <laughs> Hopefully, it make a sequel. <laughs> so, I mean, it's made but, uh, a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, a it's a it's a big hit. From you know, you come, you know, sometimes you you make a movie that's so absurd it just hits right, and and this one did so, and it's overly so. Again, like um, when you make something like this, the key is being aware of what you're making, and they did it, and I think that it gives it an honesty that to where everybody's. You know, we we know the joke, but everybody we're watching is in on the joke too, and that's that's the performances you get, I think, and I think that's what really just makes it incredibly enjoyable. Like I said, and also my favorite band in the world, U2, released a new album, uh, and it's not good. <laughs> so, uh, now this it's, the album is forty songs called Songs of Surrender, and the concept for this album was. What if they wrote, they basically revisit some of their old songs if they had written them today? Which, on the surface, I don't care what band does it, I think that's a very interesting concept. I think, that, oh, that, I think that's, that's really kind of interesting. However, first off, most of the songs that they do are songs that were just on their last damn album. So they're not even, they're doing nothing different. Secondly... Every, it, they don't change hardly anything. It's just a couple lines here and there, and it's all just basically unplugged. This, it's basically just you two unplugged, which, hey, that's fine. But I was sold on the concept of, you know, a modern version of Sunday Bloody Sunday. It's just an acoustic version. A, a modern version of The Fly, or uh, If God Will Send His Angels, is just an acoustic version. They failed to deliver on the promise, which, the premise, I should say, which... Again, I, I don't care any band uh, who's still a Pearl Jam. If they wanted to revisit some of their old songs, like through the lens of today, how would we have how would we have done this song? That's interesting to me. I find that very compelling. A reason, f- you know, it's a, an interesting experiment for a, music, a band to do. But all this, all their new album is, is just, you know, half old songs. There's 40 songs, which is cool. You know, lot lot to listen to there. But half of them are, you know, came out in the past few years, 
and the other half are the ones that you want and you would like to hear, but there's not enough differentiation there to make it worthwhile. So it's for diehard fans only. Now, don't get me wrong. Some of the versions are good. You know, the the, the acoustic version, because they're all, like I said, they're all basically acoustic versions <laughs> of If God Will Send His Angels. That's a great version. The short version of Bad, is it's not better than the original. None of them are. But they're, some of them are interesting takes, especially the stuff off the more, uh, off their previous albums are more electronic. But I mean, they do one. And they, they change like two words. It's like, we've already heard acoustic versions of one live and from other bands that have covered it. So it's a, it's an unfortunately wasted premise from, you know, they're still my favorite band. I mean, to be perfectly honest with you, you can't, you know, the War album, the Joshua Tree album, Act Tongue Baby, uh, all that you can't leave behind are some of the greatest albums ever written, in my opinion, and they're st- are still as good today as they were when they came out, if not more so. You know, so again, my opinion, you know, U2 has its haters and, and lovers equal measure, it seems. But if you, you know, it's, it, you have to be a diehard fan for this album. I'm extremely disappointed with the end product based on the premise. So it's a no for me, dog. <laughs> but uh, there, yeah, American Idol would, yeah, I'm afraid it's redundant and it sounds like everything else I've ever heard. So it's a no. So two knows they don't get to go to Los Angeles for the the main show, if I remember correctly. That's how American Idol worked, right? <laughs> they, they had the, uh, the auditions, yeah, and then if they got their golden ticket or whatever, they could go to the the big show or something like that. I don't remember. <laughs> it's gonna be a bond no for me, Doug. Oh <laughs> damn! That's a good one. <laughs> That's a really good one, actually. That's uh, Write that down. Uh, email. We got one email from our good friend Lee Bragg. You, good old UK Lee over in the UK. Uh, he goes, hi, hope all is well. Sorry to hear about your job change. Good luck with whatever you do, though. Sometimes the change is good, though, so positivity. I appreciate that. I'm still trying to find that positivity. Uh, but anyway, as of recommendations, as I know you like Friday the 13th, I recently watched a movie on Netflix called Nobody Sleeps in the Woods Tonight. I enjoyed it a lot, even though it's a Polish movie. Don't let that put you off, as the dubbing is good in it, and you know horror films don't have a great amount of talking in them anyway. It, re- it remind he said remain, but uh, it reminded me a bit of The Hatchet too. There's a sequel in there as well, which is still good, but not as much as the first. I've also just finished a Japanese series on there called Alice in Borderland, interesting, which I loved. Really, through the characters in it and the action gore is great. That's a thumbs up for me. Uh, I'll be surprised if you don't like them. Looking forward to your next show. You both never fail to amuse me. All the best, UK Lee. Thanks for the recommendations, Lee. I haven't honestly I haven't heard of either of those, but I will definitely get to them, <laughs> add them to my queue so they're always there when I need to watch them. But yeah, uh, any t- any recommendations are always welcome because that's you know that's how I f- I found some amazing movies like that through friends like you and Ben and UK Pete and everything. So keep them coming. Always you know pass on that information because that's how. You know, we we that's how I find that's how I find new music, find new movies, new games, just talking with people I know and all that. So I appreciate it as always. Though if you'd like your email read live by such prominent podcasters as me and Jesse, nationally <laughs> sponsored podcasters, by the way. I'm leaving the silence, you can put the ad in there if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Or, or you can leave it blank for comedic effect and just throw it in or anywhere else. Sure. Uh, but email us at 80sRevisited at gmail.com on Facebook, 80s Revisited Podcast, on Instagram, 80s underscore revisited. 
And as always, shout out to our good friends near and far, John with this Cajun Toy Review, and of course, TCW Star Doom Slayer Ben Wyatt over in Tasmania, Tasmanian Championship Wrestling. Give Go uh, like their Facebook page and watch their videos and give them some support. And as always, we'd appreciate it if you'd leave a review, good or bad. All we ask is that if you do decide to read us for filth or whatever you want to do with a, a one or two star review or a bad review that is not, you know, constructively critical, tell it. Just tell us why. And you know, again, don't say something that's not true because this is a podcast, and we can just go back and cite your wrongness if you decide to say that we were shitting on Steven Spielberg, which was not the case. User 4724, whatever your name was, would never do that. Never mm-hmm. never shit on the master, even though, you know, he hasn't had a good movie in a while. I haven't seen the Fable ones, though. <laughs> so, <laughs> I guess that's why we should, you're having an opinion that's critical of somebody as famous as Spielberg. That's the thing. I was thinking about, you know, thinking about Spielberg the other day, too. Because, of course, he was nominated again for the Fablemans for Best Director. And, you know, you know most people creative people at least you know rarely is their first big thing their best thing because you know artists continue you know what musicians you know it's very it's kind of rare if you, I think if you really think about it for really big artists for their first album to be their best a lot of the times because usually bands first albums are their demo tape for the most part or you know yeah. whatever you know but uh, you know YouTube's that first album is not their best for an example uh, the Beatles, I don't know anybody who thinks their first album is really their best. Same thing with Zeppelin, The Doors. Well, The Doors' first album is pretty good. Uh, but when it comes to filmmaking, you know, Spielberg, you know, he's made some of my favorite films of all time with Bears of the Lost Ark, you know, the Indiana Jones series, uh, but especially Jaws. And that's what I, wanna, I was thinking about. You know, when he made Jaws, he was, he's had, a, he, had everything to, he had everything to lose and everything to prove on Jaws. And he was forced to be creative, like outside. He was inexperienced and had to, and was forced to be creative. And I think that's a testament to why Jaws is still, you know, kids these days don't seem to get it. A lot of like the the modern take for people who are younger, much younger than us, is that no, it's the the shark is fake. Well, well, yeah. I mean, in every shark movie, the shark is fake. Except maybe open water where they did use real sharks, you know, and everything. But, you know, this is a parallel to with John Carpenter on the first Halloween for this tangent is that, you know, because of the budget in in the example of Jaws and Halloween, there's plenty of other ones, too, if you want to really kind of think about it. These directors were forced. They had to make the film work. They had to be creative. They had to think of new concepts, new ideas draw on inspirations from the past to incorporate to make these movies and John Carpenter made you know one of the greatest horror films of all time Steven Spielberg made one of the greatest horror films of all time but you know some people like Jaws isn't a horror movie no I'm afraid it is because (laughs) it is absolutely a horror movie uh, it, I mean, it, it has multiple genres. You know, horror act. What actually? What does IMDb put it in? Horror action, horror adventure. Uh, or we just on, I was just looking we, at the budget. Oh yeah. What's the uh, first genre? Adventure thriller. It's a horror movie, dog. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's a slasher movie, basically. Argue, you could. I think the argument's there for that. But that's not, But what I'm getting at is that you know, a lot of Spielberg's recent work. 
Uh, although, you know, I like Ready Player One. Haven't seen West Side Story or The Fablemans yet, you know. But he said he said some films that, like, really? You know, I thought, uh, for example, War Horse. I think that's probably his worst film. Uh, but what I'm getting at is that, you know, it's like he, he I, he's not challenged anymore because he's Steven fucking Spielberg. He's worth like over a billion dollars. I mean... You know, he's, he's, he, which he has the luxury, which is fine because he's making what he wants to, you know. He makes whatever the hell he wants to when he gets the budget he wants, but I don't know that, I, I think that level, my, my, honestly, my biggest example for this is Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott made Alien, Blade Runner, Legend, and Gladiator, which was probably his last good movie, because he just doesn't give a shit anymore. <laughs> Pretty much, you know. Uh, so, but what I'm, my, my just, my just is just that, like, uh, these big name director, you know, these, these old directors who have proven time and time again why they deserve the credit they get, which again, not take anything away from them, but I think they, you know, it'd be interesting if they, you know, they need to challenge themselves because that's so apparent when a director is challenged due to budget restraints or, or a sharp, the, the, the effects not working, you know, and, you know, the, the or, or being stre- like, like, you know, this movie just isn't scary. Well, let me think of, I need to add some music. There's your scary movie, you know. That's all I'm getting at. <laughs> it's that, you know, I wish a lot of these, you know, Cameron, you know, Cameron, James Cameron, you know, Aliens, Terminator, Terminator 2, True Lies. Uh, you know, again, these, he, they're not challenged. They're, it's just, they're just doing whatever they want. Uh, which double-edged sword, I guess, is a good thing and a bad thing. But when you look at a lot of, I think with directors, if you look at a lot of their early work, uh, I think you find some of their best work is tends to be their early stuff before they're who they are. Though Spielberg is an exception. I'm not saying is you know everything after Jaws is bad because that's that's not what I'm saying at all. Because you got the Indiana Jones trilogy, and you also have, but you also have Indiana Jones four. And Warhorse, <laughs> you know, but he, he also did Minority Report, which is fantastic. Bridge of Spies is underrated. Uh, Schindler's List, Saving Private Ryan, you know, he kept, you know, I think he kept his spark alive probably longer than most directors in terms of, uh, I don't know what I'm trying to, I'm trying to describe, but his, I guess that this is the best way I can say his spark. I mean his. It lasted so long to his career, you know, hmm. and he's kind of gone back to that a bit when he did uh, Ready Player One, and he has recent comments about he wants to do a horror movie. Which yes, yes, and of course we'll have a scene where somebody's looking at something in a reflection, and we're seeing the scene in the reflection because that's such a trademark of Spielberg. <laughs> Every movie has a reflection. Go watch a Spielberg movie, and you're going to see a scene with a character on one side of glass. And what they're seeing reflected on the glass, so you can see what they're seeing and see their reaction. It's genius. It's a genius way to get a shot, a single shot that one shot that tells a lot. You don't get me wrong, you know. But uh, but uh, yeah, I don't I don't know why I was getting on this tangent. Oh, because that review was like saying we were shitting on Spielberg. Not shitting on Spielberg. Greatest director of all time, to be honest with you. If you want to, if you want to put, you know rubber to the road or whatever expression best fits that you know who is honestly the the best director of all time i mean to me it, you have to pick spielberg look i mean just look at his resume you know there are other more innovative directors since then but i mean nobody i mean 
let's see, directors who changed film. Orson Welles, Alfred Hitchcock, you could argue Scorsese for sure, but Spielberg created the blockbuster. Well, no, Star Wars was before, no. Star Wars was, no, Spielberg did create the block, summer blockbuster with Jaws. And then Raiders. <laughs> I mean, come on. And then E.T. You know, the 80s was Spielberg. He was the, you know, 80s kids. When you think, if you think of a film director, you think of Steven Spielberg. There's no doubting that. And of course you can debate it. Oh, well, Tarantino's a fan. Yeah, he's a great director and a writer too. No shade to Tarantino. But I mean, fucking Steven Spielberg, man. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, and getting does nostalgia play a role in that? Yeah, but I mean, I think objectively, Jaws is a fantastic movie. E.T.'s a, still a fantastic movie. Close Encounters of the Third Kind is still an okay movie <laughs> to me. You know, Indiana Jones trilogy. I mean, again, we, well, all the ones we said and more. Munich. Munich is an amazing movie. You know, that was Spielberg actually like do like I mean Schindler's List too with, with the brutality of the Holocaust and everything uh, as well. But I mean, Munich was brutal. Like that was you know in a, in a different way from Schindler's List or I mean the Omaha Beach on Private Ryan. You know, still one of the greatest action sequences ever filmed. You know, but what's the last great Spielberg movie? And that, that's what I'm getting at is like, you know, he's, I mean, West Side Story, yeah, he's, he's doing passion projects, which is fine because uh, Saving Private Ryan, Schindler's List were both passion projects of his. Uh, Bridge of Spies was the last movie of his that I really liked. No, I'm sorry, Ready Player One, sorry. Yeah, West Side Story, haven't seen The Fablemans, The Post, yeah, I mean, it's fine. I'll never watch it again. The BFG, eh. Lincoln, I mean, that's more of a performance movie. War Horse, garbage. 1010, no thanks. Uh, and then, oh yeah, there you go. What does he follow up Munich with? Kingdom of the Crystal Fucking Skull. <laughs> you know. And then War of the Worlds. War of the Worlds was, I liked this War of the Worlds. It was fine. Uh, good old crazy time. <laughs> okay, anyway. I rambled on long enough on that random ass tangent at the end of an episode. Congrats <sighs> if you're still listening. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, by the way. But uh, yeah, next week, Again, we're a month behind on these, you know, socially aware movie topics because of, you know, as I mentioned before, trying to get a job. But uh, March is Women's History Month. And also, in March, on March 3rd, you have World Wildlife Day. And on March 21st, yesterday, or two days ago now, because it's midnight now, uh, was International Day of Forests. So what movie, what 80s movie, can encapsulate women's history... World Wildlife Day and International Day of Forests. Hmm. hmm. Think on it. Because I'm not going to tell you till you see it pop up in your feed next time. And if you get it right, <laughs> let us know. Let us know. And, and here's a little hint. I've mentioned it a couple episodes ago as a movie I remembered and wanted to watch. <laughs> so, but it's it, not it, by it, Roland Emmerich. Nope. Yeah, that's, that is correct. <laughs> it is not making contact. We'll save that for down the road. But yeah, till next time, everybody, stay safe, and I will hopefully remain Trey Harris, Jesse Sedgley, Cowabunga!